Hello friends, thank you so much for joining me today. I am here with my friend Austin Graff, who is a fantastic contributing writer for the Washington Post. I absolutely loved chatting with him about the land of enchantment. What a fascinating history. I have so many fun facts for you. Your minds are gonna explode. So let's dive into my conversation about New Mexico with Austin Graff. I'm Sharon McMahon, and welcome to the Sharon Says So podcast. Well, Austin, thank you so much for joining me. I am absolutely delighted to know you and delighted to be able to chat with you today. We've been chatting before about your um, experiences as an American growing up in Russia, which is, I could literally like, how much time do you have? <laughs> Just talk about this topic. Oh, no, thanks for having me. And it was quite the experience. One that you actually might be able to relate to because Russia and Minnesota are very cold places. <laughs> it is true. And it is also very true that geography, weather, etc., shapes a culture. Yes, it, it is. 100% does. Oh, it really does. Even in just how the colors people use in just mm-hmm. buildings. So in Russia, if you're not used to it, it can be a little bit jarring, but a lot of the buildings are truly gray and white and brown, kind of similar to winter, more like darker, just cold colors and not much color. And so if you're not used to that, they recommend that you take a little break from Russia every few months and kind of go to like Spain or Turkey, where there's a lot of (laughs) bright colors, Um, but it really does affect the culture, the landscape, the architecture, everything. Mm, it, it shapes who you become when you grow up where the weather is such an obstacle to overcome. It shapes who you become. And I, I personally love it because I love cold weather and I find cold weather exciting. And I always want to visit cold weather destinations. If I could just like be teleported to the South Pole, I would love that. I live here at this research station and it's minus 60 outside. Sign me up. I agree. So like top of my travel list is Antarctica and I've researched like how to make it possible. And there's several options now for a tourist to visit Antarctica, but it really is like, I would love that because it's cold and there's penguins and it's Mm -hmm. just darker. There's not much sunlight. Mm -hmm. Whereas most of my friends think that sounds crazy. So you're invited (laughs) when I go to Antarctica, let's take a to people who love winter tourist (laughs) trip to Antarctica. That's right. Yes. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. 
Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Tell everybody just what you do. Just give us a description of who you are so people can put this into context. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So once I grew up in Russia, I came to the United States and moved to Washington, D.C., a city that I still live in. And I work at the Washington Post, and I'm on the business side of the Post, where I lead what's called talent marketing and brand and social media. So essentially, we wanting to encourage people to come join us and work for the Washington Post, because we're hiring the biggest newsroom we've ever hired in the history of the Washington Post, which is exciting. But I also was invited to be a contributing writer. So what I am part of, I write and cover all the cool things to do in Washington, D.C. on the Washington Post official um, local guide through what's called By the Way, which is our kind of travel destination. There's around 70 city guides from all around the world written by locals. So when you travel, check them out. But it's a fun job. So I explore every single day. And on my Instagram, we'll show the real side of Washington, D.C., the kind of beyond politics side of this city that I just have come to love. I just love exploring and especially like alleys and off the beaten path spots. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And before I was 18, have been to around 70 different countries and Mm. kind of continue that to this day. Even now when I'm a dad at month two of my daughter, we took her to Cuba and Mm. I'm kind of started her very young on the traveling bug train. (laughs) And you were like, we're not just going to go sit at a sandals, Jamaica. No, ma'am. (laughs) <laughs> That's so funny, which I love that you said that because the editor of, by the way, she will kill me for saying this. We always joke that even though she leads the team of writers and designers and, and other people who focus on off the beaten path travel, she loves going to resorts like Sandals, Jamaica, <laughs> truly. And it, it actually like kind of makes it the perfect editor for this team. It's such a stark contrast. Yes, to Cuba. Okay. Have you researched Svalbard yet? <gasps> No. What's oh that? Gosh. Okay. Svalbard. I've never been there, but I'm like a Svalbard evangelist. It's a polar island near the North Pole. And you would especially find it interesting because there is no indigenous population of Svalbard. It has been settled in the 20th century by various European groups. There's a large amount of Norwegian and Swedish people there. There are Americans who moved there. So there's like the main, the main village, which has about 2,500 people. And that is where most people who are going to Svalbard visit. And then there are two Russian villages. One of them has been completely abandoned and is like a ghost town where there was a terrible plane crash where a lot of the residents died. And you can go there now. There are still skis propped up by the door and people's shoes in the closet. And it has been abandoned now for decades, but you can just walk right into the houses. Oh my goodness. I'm surprised. This is the first time I'm hearing about this. As you were describing this, I Googled it. And truly this is like what I love to do. I am what's called an urban explorer on the Mm -hmm. side. And, um, and it's people who love abandoned places and you go in and you just explore and you wander and so every time, like the first thing I do when I book a trip somewhere is I don't look at food. I don't look at the tourist destinations. I type in Google, 
abandoned places in Copenhagen <gasps> or wherever it is. Really? And I just looked at all the images and this ghost town is now beating Antarctica in my places <laughs> to visit. Yeah. So yeah. Thank you. Svalbard has thousands of polar bears, tens of thousands of miniature reindeer that live nowhere else in the world. They're called Svalbard reindeer and they're super short and super chunky. They're like, if you took a regular reindeer and like miniaturized it and made its legs way too short, that's what they look like. It is the ecosystem there is unlike anything else in the world. There's also like tons of walrus and whales and seals. They don't have um, penguins, but there is a, the diversity of ecosystem, lots of birds, trans migratory birds, et cetera. It's fascinating. But then they have the incredible polar night where the sun does not rise for three months. And because they're so close to the North pole and they're so uninhabited, they have one of the largest um, telescope research stations in the world. And NASA does lots of research on Svalbard. They also have the world seed vault, which is where like nations of the world send their seeds in the event of some kind of catastrophe. Like we would want to be able to repopulate the Brazilian rainforest in the event of like some kind of nuclear Holocaust. And so there are like billions of seeds inside the world seed vault. And there are, it's like this crazy amount of security and like, you cannot just go there as a visitor because they cannot risk the contamination. It's not Disney world where there's just like, and over here we have the (laughs) the seeds of Morocco. You know what I mean? Like they can't risk the contamination from your clothes. Wow. They also have the world digital archive there which is where a lot of countries are now storing their digital copies of important documents like constitutions and things like that. Like if the country is wiped off the map by some kind of nuclear attack, you don't think about it, but like, yeah, I guess all the servers would be destroyed. Yeah. And so they're storing digital copies on Svalbard. All right. I'm going to quit my job tomorrow. And join, move to this place and start collecting seats from Azerbaijan. That's right. And also you can move there without a visa. As long as you can support yourself, that's the rule. You have to be able to support yourself. Um, you can move there. Wow. I could do that. I could try to support myself. All right. Mm -hmm. New life plan. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I have another cool place to tell you about. And I picked a cool place because I know you love to travel. I know you love to write about traveling today. I want to tell you a story about the land of enchantment. You've been to New Mexico before? I have. I used to live in New Mexico, actually. <gasps> you did? Where I in New did. Mexico well, did you live? I'm doing air quotes around live. So I, we spent six months in New Mexico because the University of New Mexico randomly has a very good Russian language program. Oh. And so to, to kind of help my parents be equipped to move to Russia, we moved to Albuquerque, New Mexico okay. for six months and loved it. Yes. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, you know how absolutely stunning the New Mexico landscape is, right? People have never been there tend to think think it's just desert. And in reality, New Mexico has some of the most varied topography of any state. It ranges from snow-capped mountains to forests, to prairie, to desert, and so much Uh, biodiversity, so many kinds of animals from like javelinas to black bears, to bighorn sheep, to bison. And again, we always just think it's deserts and in reality, it's really not. And I 
I love the story of how New Mexico became a state. Do you know the story of how New Mexico became a state? I am ashamed that I do not. Well, perfect. By the time we're done, you will have learned something new, which is always fun in my opinion. <laughs> that is a lot of fun. And you're right, New Mexico, that's one of my favorite things about spending six months there was every weekend we'd go out and explore. And mm. it was so diverse. And as a kid, I was confused because one weekend we were literally in snow-capped mountains, like mm-hmm. you described. And next we were in like a painted desert, seeing yes. all different types of like tumbleweed to animals. And it kept me curious as a child because of that constant just change. It's such a mm. mystical place. Mm-hmm. I love it. New Mexico is so unique in that it has portions of New Mexico have been continuously occupied, like the Santa Fe Pueblo area have been continuously occupied for over a thousand years. Wow. And some of the regions of New Mexico have ruins that are as old as the Egyptian pyramids. Wow. So I absolutely love that this is, it's such a hidden gem in the United States. The Egyptian pyramids are incredible, clearly, for a variety of reasons. But the idea that history that old also exists in North America, that you can visit it, I love that. That's amazing, because you're right. A lot of people say, like, the United States in particular doesn't have as deep history as, like, where I grew up in Russia. My hometown is over a thousand years old. But that's kind of a, to say that is kind of a European-centric view mm-hmm. of the United States, because, in fact, yes. there's very old and very deep and very rich history in New Mexico, mm-hmm. to your point. Mm-hmm. That. It, you're absolutely right. The Spanish begins exploring that region of the United States in the 16th century, and they came there after they defeated the Aztecs thinking, I wonder if there is another wealthy indigenous population that we can conquer and take their riches. It was not named New Mexico after the country of Mexico. In fact, it was named New Mexico hundreds of years before Mexico became a country. Wow. It was named New Mexico by Europeans who had recently defeated the Aztec. And there was a valley in the Aztec region that had the word Mexico in it. And so they named this New Mexico because it reminded them of the place they had just come from in the Aztec region. It's been called New Mexico well before the United States was even a thing. Wow. That is fascinating. Yeah, Yeah. It kind of does make you see that area in a new light. I think so. I agree. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. We've all had those embarrassing moments where maybe you've taken your shoes off and you realize like, oh no, oh no, that is not a good smell. Fortunately, Lumi whole body deodorant is making it so none of us ever have to worry about that again. Unlike certain other products, Lumi is powered by mandelic acid to control odor in a new way. It delivers outrageous 72-hour odor control everywhere one might like to use it. In fact, it was patients' concerns about odor that originally inspired the OBGYN who invented Lumi. Fast forward six years and her game-changing whole body deodorant now has over 300,000 five-star reviews. And it works without using 
heavy perfumes that mask odor, which I really appreciate. Lumi's starter pack is perfect for new customers. It comes with a solid stick deodorant, cream tube deodorant, which is my favorite, and two free products of your choice, like deodorant wipes or a mini body wash. It also has free shipping. And as a special offer for listeners, new customers get 15% off all Lumi products with our exclusive code. And if you combine the 15% off with the already discounted starter pack, that's like 40% off their starter pack. So use code SHARON at lumideodorant.com. That's L-U-M-E-D-E-O-D-O-R-A-N-T dot com. Mother's Day is almost here. And I want to take just a quick second to appreciate not only my mom, all the moms out there, but anyone who has taken on the role of caregiver. You do everything for someone else. And now it's time to do something for yourself. And that includes starting with your skin. And I've been using our sponsor OneSkin's products for a while now. And I have to tell you, I am really enjoying them. They are very easy to incorporate into my skincare routine. I am really liking the eye cream. And the secret is OneSkin's proprietary OS1 peptide. It is the first ingredient proven to switch off the aging cells that cause lines, wrinkles, and thinning skin, and they have several studies to back it up. OneSkin is the world's first skin longevity company. By focusing on the cellular aspects of aging, OneSkin keeps your skin looking and acting younger for longer. Get started today with 15% off using code SHARON at oneskin.co. That's 15% off oneskin.co with code SHARON. And after your purchase, they'll ask where you heard about them. Please support this show and tell them we sent you. The new region that is today's New Mexico became part of the country of Mexico in the 1820s. And then after the Mexican-American War, that region was annexed by the United States. Texas for a long time tried to claim ownership of a big chunk of New Mexico. The New Mexico territory incorporated a big chunk of what is currently Arizona and also a big chunk of what is Southern Colorado today. And it really wasn't um, until 1850 or so that the United States paid off Texas to leave New Mexico alone. It was like, we will give you money (laughs) if you will drop your claim to this portion of New Mexico, they paid that the United States government paid them $10 million in 1850 to like, stop trying to say that this is the border. Okay. The border is actually over here. (laughs) (laughs) So much so that they gave $10 million, $10 million. Stop trying to come over this river, stay on this side of this river. And here's your $10 million. That's interesting. That's interesting. That money kind of played into parts where it, it yes. after Aztecs, they wanted to, to see if there's more money out there. And then this $10 million border deal. Yes. That the borders were not formed just because we all mutually agreed upon, okay, well, the Rio Grande is the Southern border of Mexico and Texas. Like we think that they're always formed by natural boundaries or some kind of thing that we actually agree on. And in some cases they're formed by how much money would it take for you to let this part of the state of this territory go? $10 million. Okay. <laughs> we should try that today with borders. <laughs> See if that works. <laughs> yeah. I'll give you $10. I'll give you $10 if you will move the border of Maryland. No. <laughs> 
So one of the historians who is best known for his really exhaustive history of how New Mexico became a state, his name is Robert Larson. And he said this about New Mexico becoming a state. An unfortunate but instinctive distrust of New Mexico's essentially foreign culture, because New Mexico was mostly inhabited by indigenous populations and Hispanic people. Essentially foreign culture was the last and most durable brick added to the strong wall of opposition that prevented the territory from joining the union until 1912. Wow. It is very well noted in the historic record that a lot of the reason it took more than 60 years for New Mexico to actually become a state when it met the criteria far before is because of nativist sentiment throughout the United States Congress that the majority of the language that was being spoken in New Mexico wasn't English. The majority of the people who lived there were not Caucasian. And it seemed like foreigners, quote unquote, air quotes around foreigners were living there and that they did not fit in with the rest of the United States. And so dozens of times people made moves to try to make New Mexico a state and it kept getting shut down in Congress. Wow. Then what changed in 1912? Well, I'll get there. I'll tell you. Okay. Okay. I'll be patient. (laughs) So... In 1848, the United States signed the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo, which is what ended the war with Mexico and what helped establish the boundary of the Rio Grande. And here is where the boundary of Mexico is going to be. Here's where the boundary of the United States is going to be. And so it was that treaty that was signed that gave the territory of New Mexico to the United States, but it was still a territory. And one of the things that was interesting, I found, is that Zachary Taylor, who was a president of the United States, was a big sort of war hero in the Mexican-American War. And that was sort of how he had risen to prominence. That was how he catapulted himself onto the political stage. And he was a big advocate for making New Mexico a state. So he gets elected, he gets to Washington, and then he eats some bad cherries and drinks some milk and some contaminated water and died in office not long after he arrived. Shortly after they became a territory, they adopted a new constitution. They wrote a constitution, adopted it, overwhelmingly adopted it. The statistics of a New Mexico's constitution were that something like 8,300 people voted yes and like 39 people voted no. <laughs> Those are some good odds. Yeah, very good odds. <laughs> <laughs> One of the other very interesting things about New Mexico that, again, contributed to this idea that maybe it should not become a state is, you know, that territories of the United States don't have full representation in Congress. They get to send delegates, but they don't get to vote. One of the delegates that New Mexico sent to Congress was a Catholic priest who spoke no English and required a translator to do anything in any kind of meeting with Congress. And so it only spoke more to Congress about the quote unquote foreignness 
of New Mexico. So some historians have said if New Mexico had played their cards a little differently, if they had sent somebody else as a delegate, if they had pushed a little harder, maybe it could have happened sooner. But that was obviously who they felt like um, represented them best or they wanted to have represent them. So every single time a new bill got introduced to Congress to try to make New Mexico a state, there were always the same reasons to shut it down. As I mentioned, there was always the, the bricks of the language, the foreignness. There was a majority of people who were non-white. They just have a very different culture. And in many cases, a very ancient culture. Right. And it was not as easy for Europeans to come in and wipe out the culture as it was in some other regions of the United States. You've heard about like Apache warriors and, you know, those kind of stereotypes that there were a lot of fighting. And people were not interested in just sort of being like, fine, you can have this region when their people had been living there for thousands of years. Finally, at the turn of the century, there began to be moves in Congress of like, we should just make it happen. So of course, the accumulation of states throughout the 19th century and into the early 20th century of the United States, accumulating states meant more power. You know what I mean? Like we get bigger, we get more powerful, you can mess with us less, we have more people, we have more money. Adding states was a sign of success at the time. And during the industrial revolution, in particular, this idea that you wanted to like project power. So early in the 1900s, there began to be this movement building in Congress to add Arizona, New Mexico, and Oklahoma as states. And again, enough people were like, come on, I don't know. Like they don't speak English. There's not enough white people living there. And so somebody in Congress finally made a proposal and you can find this on old maps of the region. They made a proposal that they would admit one new state that encompassed almost all of Arizona and New Mexico. And its capital would be Santa Fe. And it's like double the size of both those states shoved together. And it would be called Montezuma. Ooh, Montezuma. (laughs) The state of Montezuma. And you can find Montezuma as a region on maps, old school maps. Wow, the U.S. missed out. That would be cool. So fun to have a state named that. (laughs) I live in Montezuma. But of course, um, New Mexico was like, okay, okay, we can do that. And Arizona was like, come on, we're not going to be part of the state of Montezuma. No. And they did not want to be joined together with New Mexico. Arizona was like, there is a mountain range between us. We are not one region. Just because we are near each other does not mean we are the same. We're not interested in being all one state. Hi, friends. It's Sharon. If you enjoyed a recent episode with author and public theologian Issa McCauley, then I have the perfect podcast recommendation for you. No Small Endeavor, produced by Great Feeling Studios and PRX, No Small Endeavor is an acclaimed podcast series that explores what it means to live a good life. Each episode, host and award-winning theologian Lee C. Camp brings you thoughtful conversations with artists, philosophers, politicians, and theologians like Hollywood legend Rob Reiner and civil rights hero Reverend James Lawson about what it means to find true happiness and flourish in our everyday life. So don't miss out. Follow No Small Endeavor on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening now.
and tell them I sent you. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. So in 1906, Arizona decided we are going to be called Arizona. <laughs> this, is, this is who we are, New Mexico territory. You stay over there. And it really was not until William Taft, who is a very fascinating president. Of course, everybody knows him as the largest president. Everybody knows the one fun fact about him that he got stuck in a bathtub. <laughs> I like to remember him as being a constitutional law professor and going on to being the chief justice of the Supreme Court after he was president. I find that more interesting, <laughs> but it was really him who was like, enough. He went down there and toured the region. It took eight months, by the way. Like they had all these little quibbles where they were like, Arizona, you're your constitution makes judicial recall too easy. Rewrite it. New Mexico, it is too difficult to amend your constitution. Rewrite it. And Taft was finally like, their constitutions are better than any of the states y'all are coming from. So drop the pretense that their constitutions aren't good enough and let's make it happen. And so in early 1912, New Mexico became the 47th state. And a couple of months later, Arizona became the 48th state. Wow. But New Mexico, 60 year struggle against the United States Congress to actually be admitted as a state, even though they had the right population, they had a constitution, they had a governor, they had schools, they had railroads, like they had all the things you were supposed to have to be able to be a state. It was really a prejudice against people that lived there that prevented Congress from moving forward with incorporating them. Wow, that's Isn't so that interesting. interesting. That yes. is fascinating. So do you think by 1912, was there that, that shift of people being more open to people that didn't look like them? Or was it really because of the lobbying of Taft 
that he was able to at least convince people politically to do this. I don't think it had to do with people necessarily having a massive change of heart, but I do think because we had such an incredible tidal wave of immigration happening during that time through Ellis Island during the period of the Industrial Revolution, I think the argument became less strong. I want to give you a couple of other fun facts about New Mexico too, though, because it made me want to go like spend three months living there. It also has more UNESCO World Heritage Sites than any other state. There are three of them in New Mexico and uh, some other states have one, like the Statue of Liberty is a World Heritage Site. The Florida Everglades are a World Heritage Site. And if somebody is not familiar with that, that is a special designation that is given by the United Nations that says that this place is either culturally or geographically or some other type of incredible significance to the world and that it should be preserved. So it's a very prestigious designation. One of the World Heritage Sites that is in New Mexico is the Chaco Canyon. And that is where some of those ruins that are older than the Egyptian pyramids. Another one is the Taos Pueblo, which is the city or the area that I mentioned, part of which has been occupied for over a thousand years. And the other one that I find very interesting is Carlsbad Caverns. Have you been yes, there? I have been there. That was our first weekend getaway when we moved to, to Albuquerque. It's beautiful. Oh, oh my goodness. Did you hear how they became popularized? No. Okay. So this cowboy in the late 1800s saw smoke in the distance and was like, oh no, because forest fire, obviously extraordinarily destructive and dangerous. And you need to be able to move your livestock and cows can't run that far. You know what I mean? They can't run that far that fast. (laughs) So you needed to spot those things well in advance. And it was also really hard to put them out. So he immediately took off on his horse towards the smoke to see where the smoke was originating from, how far away it was, how much time they had to move. And as he got closer, he realized that in fact, it was not smoke. It was millions of bats. And it looked like smoke from far away. That is how many bats there were millions of bats. And he looked and he saw millions of bats emerging from a hole in the ground, a crevice in the ground. And he was like, what is this? By this time it was dark, but he knew that he needed to visit again when it was light. And so he went back to his camp because he knew his buddies were going to be worried about him. And he did not tell anybody about the bats because he felt like if he said, I thought I saw smoke, but then it was bats. Like they would discredit him, think he was crazy. You know, nobody thinks bats are smoke. That was, it wasn't going to bode well for him. But the next day he went back with some nails, some pieces of wood and a kerosene lamp and built himself a small ladder down into the cavern to see what is down here. Wow. Very and brave man. So brave. Oh my gosh. I, if you could not pay me enough money to explore an unexplored cave. <laughs> yeah, totally. And how you're describing it, it sounds like it's like the next horror movie coming to a theater near you. Like it's right. smoke, but then it's bats. What? It's bats. It's bat smoke. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, thank you. No, gracias. I'm not interested in that. He then began exploring every day he would go back with his kerosene lamp 
and begin exploring the caverns. And of course, there is now a national park, Carlsbad Caverns National Park. There are 119 caverns that are in the national park, but there are actually 300 caverns that make up the entire region, which of course was formed by acid eating away the native limestone. And it was him that named a lot of the areas inside the caverns that are still in use today. And the names are things that are kind of like, left arm, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> right side. They're, they're not at all scientifically named. Some of them are like snake pit cavern. You know what I mean? Just, he just named them witches, whatever. I'm just making these up. Awesome. He just literally invented names. Yeah. And it was him that began telling people about these caverns and explorers began coming and wanting to, wanting him to show them how did you get down in there? And soon there were enough people visiting the caverns that local officials had to build a better ladder because they were worried <laughs> that people were going to start, they were going <laughs> to plummet to their death and they wouldn't be able to get them out. Eventually they had to build a step, set of steps because the ladders were still too risky. And now of course there's a whole system and lights and all that kind of stuff that are in there. But I loved what he had to say when he began exploring the caverns that he discovered. He said, I shall never forget the feeling of awareness. It gave me the beauty, the grandeur, the omniscience absolved my mind of all thought of a world above. I forgot time, place, and distance. He just loved being under there. Like it just, it literally was being transported to a new place. Wow. And that's a very poetic thing to say from a man who named things, eh, kind of looks like an arm. Yeah. Left arm. <laughs> yeah, left arm. <laughs> a very poetic from a cowboy who thought that the bats were smoke. I also loved what the very first elected governor of New Mexico, whose name was William McDonald, had to say at his inaugural speech after New Mexico became a state in January of 1912. He said, now we, the free independent citizens of New Mexico have at last come victorious from the battle, waged for full citizenship in a sovereign state, in that union established by their wisdom. As we look into the future, bright hopes of promise appear to some, and dark forebodings may dim the horizon of others. And the past is the dawn of the future. It is to the future we look and the future will be what we make of it. Wow. That's beautiful. Isn't that beautiful? Yes. So New Mexico, who knew all this stuff was there and who knew how hard it was to become a state? Yeah, seriously. Thanks so much for sharing that. I love to learn. So that was fascinating. Tell everybody where they can find you. People can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Austin K. Graff. G-R-A-F-F as in Frank. If I don't clarify that, people think my last name is Grass, like something you uh -huh. mow with uh -huh. a lawnmower. It's Graff, <laughs> not Graff. <laughs> F as in Frank. Not exactly. P and not P-H, like geometric graph. Yes, ex exactly. <laughs> to us. <laughs> I love it. Aww, this was so fun. It was so super blast. fun. Thanks for having me. Yes, I would love to do this again anytime. Done. 
Thank you so much for listening to the Sharon Says So podcast. I am truly grateful for you. And I'm wondering if you could do me a quick favor. Would you be willing to follow or subscribe to this podcast or maybe leave me a rating or a review? Or if you're feeling extra generous, would you share this episode on your Instagram stories or with a friend? All of those things help podcasters out so much. I cannot wait to have another mind-blown moment with you next episode. Thanks again for listening to the Sharon Says So podcast.